This episode is brought to you by Red Range Stock Supplements. Red Range is a locally owned, family-run business based in Kununurra, Western Australia and servicing the whole northwest. They offer a range of custom blended supplements for cattle and horses, tailored specifically to your individual requirements. For more information or to discuss your supplement needs, please visit redrainstocksupplements.com.au. Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Today is part two of our episode with Peter Rowe, the Outback Postman. Now, if you haven't listened to part one, stop right here and go back and find it. Because in addition to being a cracker yarn, it provides a lot of context about how Rowie came to be the man he is. In this episode, we talk about the 600 kilometre round trip he makes twice a week to deliver mail to small towns and remote cattle stations along the Udna Data track, and the tourist business he runs alongside it. Once again, Rowie not only spins some great stories, but imparts wisdom which can only be acquired from living life to the fullest. Now we pick up this episode at the end of our chat about his time as a potter and how he came to take on the job of the Outback Mail Run. So you did the pottery for 20 years yeah. and it sounds like there were some great times doing oh, that yeah, as well and, and a great way to be involved in the local community. I mean, mm-hmm. not only are you making income and a steady income, but you're able to bring in the community to it and really mm-hmm. kind of, um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, just cement yourself as, as you are like a pillar of this community. What – you mentioned just before that you went into a, a male – a mail delivery business is that what you call it or a mail, a mail, run. Yeah, mail, mail contract run. yeah yeah so and that's that's i suppose where some people if they google you that's where they well you know where most of the information is you so i guess mm. we should talk about that um and that's also i suppose one of your connections to cattle stations because of course this is a podcast about cattle stations but you said your son did work out on anna creek and the peak which were mm. owned by uh, s kidman and co but you are for now, I think, is it 19 years? 19 years now. 19 yeah, years, yeah. you have been the mailman for an area in South Australia delivering mail to cattle stations, mm-hmm. which um, so uh, people may know it, it varies around the country whether people get their mail delivered by road or by aeroplane. Um, you are a road postie. So oh, tell road me. Road postie, yeah. I'm yeah. postman, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so postman. Oh, I was going to call you postman Pat, but that's not your name. No, postman, so. Pete, postman Pete. Postman Pete. <laughs> We're going to make our own cartoon about you. We're going to have to write a picture book or something, I think. But um, what – I suppose how do you go from 
being in pottery to, I mean, every, everything's kind of a jump at this point, but how do you go from being in pottery to doing the mail run? You've gone from, I suppose, a job in open wine where you're away from home a lot. Mm. And then you've got a job where you're working from home. And now, and then you've got, then the next job just takes you away from home again. But I mean, it's, it's a whole different. So uh, two time. days a week. So yeah, well, yeah, look, it doesn't really take you away from home because the post run wasn't going away for weeks and weeks at a time. time. Yeah. Like when we first met the White Cliffs, I only saw my family once every six weeks for nearly a year. Oh, wow. Okay. So we used to fly home with a little airplane and come home for a week, they fly back and go back and do another six weeks. Didn't. Um, so that's a different story. You know, that was a different way. Doing the postman run's not like that. Uh, the postman run is a Australian, Australian post contract. Uh, renewable every five years. Um, and, um, yeah, so basically I pick up in the morning. Um, well, my main, the main thing I have to look after and guess top priority is always the mail. And as you probably know, there's a lot of security issues with Australian Post, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, and that becomes the number one priority, not only to get it there, but make sure it's securely got there. Um, and then I offer a service on top of that to the people living out there to bring out their fruit and veg and spare parts and maybe go to the chemist shop and pick up a script and, you know, and they say, oh, would you mind going up the chemist, you know, but for them to come in could be a four, like this, I've got to get one tomorrow, for instance. Uh, for that girl to come in and get her script is a 400 kilometre round trip. So it doesn't take me five minutes to drive into town. The girls in the chemist shop know her and they know I'm going to come in. They've got her already. So here, Rowie, thank you very much. I'll bring it back home. If it's got to be refrigerated, I'll put it in the fridge, you know, and then Monday I'll take it out of it. It saves her 400 k's of driving for, for a packet of pills. Yeah. Um, and I do the fruit and veg. So it's a whole combination of things. It's a, not only the mail run, which is the main thing, it's a service to the people of the outback. And... And as far as it being different um, or taking me away from home, it's, it's two days a week. So five days a week I'm home. Yeah. Uh, someone said to me, oh, how can you do this? I mean, it's such a long drive. And those same people spend an hour driving in peak hour traffic to the office mm-hmm. in Adelaide or Melbourne or Sydney. Then they spend all day sitting in front of a computer in an air-conditioned office then they spend an hour on the way home. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, they drop their kids off at a, at a child care centre. I'm not knocking them, don't get me wrong. Situations create situations, and situations create that, that makes it more and more complicated. And I feel so sorry for these people that have to do this, and I understand how they have to do it. But, but they ask me how it's so hard that they drop their kids off on the way to work to a childcare centre, then they sit all day in front of a computer, then they drive home, pick their kids up and go back home and have to cook meals. And they reckon, my job's hard? Hell, yeah. I've got an easy job. I've got an easy <laughs> Yeah, that's why I said that. Okay, it's a long way. It's 600 k's and I leave at 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, I leave home at half past 7 in the morning. By the time I'm loaded up and leave Peter's about 9, and if I've got people on board, because, as you know, I carry paying passengers and turn it into a tour, uh, uh, an educational tour. Um, but I get home between nine and ten at night. Um, and people say, "How can you do it?" Well, two days a week, <laughs> and I'm peak out traffic. You know. Yeah. How did the opportunity come about or present itself to you to take on the mail run? Right. First of all, we're also we're already doing. My son and I are already doing four wheel drive tours. 
And it started in the year 2000 when Lake Air got water. Everyone wanted to go and see, everyone wanted to go and see Lake Air with water. So we bought a four-wheel drive vehicle and we started taking people out to Lake Air. We then started taking people out to the Painted Desert, which is just spectacular. Um, so we did exclusive four-wheel drive tours to Lake Air or the Painted Desert. The chap that had the Marwan contract wanted to quit and wanted to know if I'd take it over. Now the Marwan contract cannot be sold. But the business associated with it can. All the other business associated with it, carrying freight, carrying paying passengers and what have you. So this chap was already carrying paying passengers. So we went to Australian Post and said, you know, um, uh, this bloke went to Australian Post. Well, he said, I've got a fella here that will take over my run. I want to stop. And the one of the major problems Australian Post have is getting reliable people to do the contracts. Okay. Um, a lot of people think it's going to be easy and they find it too hard or they don't do the right thing or what have you. So if you can recommend uh, uh, someone to take your place, they, they jump at it because they, or they want the job done and they want it done properly. Um, so he went to these people, the Australian Post people, so I've got a bloke here, I know I can do the job, knows the country, knows all the people, knows what's going on, and they just changed the contract over to me. And I just bought the vehicle off him, basically. That's what happened. So, yeah. Oh, and I gave him a bit of goodwill for the customers and his website and, you know, that sort of stuff. So, yeah. 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 And so tell me, where does your mail run take you? Okay. I guess like, let's go through a bit of the mail run, like the area and the distance. And you said it's twice a week. And let's just for people, because I suppose there would be a couple of fellas or ladies or people like you out all over Australia that are doing. There's male, con- there's male contractors all over the place, Steph. Yeah, I, I um, actually thought you guys would be employees of Australia Post. I didn't realise no, it was no, a contract. No, no, all contracts, contracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And incredible. they're all over the place. I mean, I've, I've never met this. I've heard of a lady that's um, got a small contract somewhere in South Australia. I'm not even sure where it is. Um, been doing it for 30 years and she's older than me. And But I think what it is is only about two or three places she calls into. And I think it's only about 100 k's. So I'm sure she calls in and sees Ethel and have a cup of tea with Ethel, and then she goes on to to uh, to uh, 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 Jennifer's place and has another cup of tea to scold there. You know, like, yeah. I'm sure it's a little social age, and she's driving around. To them. So there's people doing my ones here, but she would take it very seriously, of course. Otherwise, mm-hmm. she wouldn't be there. The Australian Post wouldn't allow her to have it. Um, so the job's got to be done. But in my particular case, um, I'm based in Coopie, of course. The mail arrives in Coopie and is sorted by the post office. Uh, it comes in mailbags or in boxes. With a lot of online shopping today, we get tend to get more uh, boxes of stuff, online shopping boxes, than we do of um, letters. So most of the stuff boxed up today. Um, and we deliver the mail to either um, Unudata and we or to Unudata and William Creek, as well as five cattle stations. Um, on a Thursday, we go to Unidata first, and then on a Monday, we go to William Creek first. So we do clockwise and anti-clockwise. Is, so, there, is there a reason that you'd go to well, one before the think, other? I, is that I've just to break it? I've never why, um, and I've just accepted that's the way oh, it is. Oh, okay. But cool. I think it's so the people at the end of each day don't get it always last. Oh, yeah, everyone gets a turn. Okay, and, yep. and also Thursday is the big day. That's when most of the shopping's done. But also, um, Una Data has got another mail run. So I actually supply, I actually supply the mail to another mail run that runs out of Una Data. Oh, wow. And where does that person go? Do they go somewhere? They further? go, they go north of Una Data to 
uh, Todd Morton, uh, Hamilton, Mount Sarah, and then I go out to Macumba Station. Wow. So those those pastoral properties then would only get a mail service once a week? Is that right? No, then? they still get it twice a week. Or twice a week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But there's, I gather theirs is Tuesday and and Thursday because um, – I think it's I think it's twice a week. I don't. I also don't know. No, I'm just wondering if they oh, get, really? if they no, get the mail. So from... anyway, I've just assumed that they would because I get there on a Monday. I get there too late for them to go out. Yes. I'm so just... on a Monday, I get to Una Data at five, six o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, but if you're only doing a Thursday, handover... I get there at lunchtime, and I know Robert who does them. Who? Uh, oh, sorry. The 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 Australian Post contractor in in Una Data, uh, he. Um, he quite often is waiting for me, and then they load up, and he goes on from there. Oh, okay. But you do drop mail off for that run twice a week, too. Yep, no doubt. Yep, oh, okay. So, so, yeah, so that makes sense. Week. I think yeah. they do. It, I think yeah, they do no, it that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's twice a week contract. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so um, I guess I should have noticed spending the last month at the peak station and seeing you every Monday and Thursday that you were coming at different times, <laughs> like all this a regular time well, on a Monday and a regular on a Thursday, but. Oh, you're a bit later on, th- mon- on Monday, aren't we? Because we stop at William Creek and have lunch. Um, but I guess we, yeah, we are kind of half. Yeah, yeah, exactly between, halfway between the two. The big so. station's halfway between the two, halfway around the Marabon. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so it's this incredible job. So, so you say you deliver mail for the people who are in the towns, well, and, well but they are very small towns, I suppose, of of Udnadara and William Creek. Yeah. But then you've got your five cattle stations yeah, as well. Yeah, so we do two towns, five cattle stations, and it's approximately six hundred kilometres of unsealed road. And is it almost all the stations? Would that be so? You've got. Uh, I know you do Peak, Nilpana, Anna Creek. Uh, I'm guessing Allendale, Allendale, and then and Mount Barry. Mount Barry. So four of those five are the Williams family. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you're almost like a private postman. Well, <laughs> it's been it's been an personal postman. <laughs> when I started the mail run, there was kids going to school there that have now got kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been an interesting experience, you know, like uh, now I go along and the kids' kids are saying, G'day, Rowie, how you going? You know, where before they were saying, they're still calling me Rowie, but their kids are now calling me Rowie. So, yeah, you know, we so. do, even the little kids at peak, when they, they're they like, Rowie's here, Rowie, and even <laughs> yeah. a two-year-old who can barely talk, he doesn't, doesn't yeah, very well, yeah, yeah. he's got a few words, but one of them is definitely Rowie, yeah, and that's one of the most clear words he says. <laughs> that's yeah. great, isn't it great, eh? Everyone, well, yeah, you, your job is obviously you have your job to, so you've got the mail contract. And as you said before, you'll also do um, extra freight sort of deliveries for people, whether that be groceries or prescriptions spare or parts spare parts, yeah, yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then you have this tour business as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But your job, I, I suppose it's quite unique, obviously, that you are driving so far, but everywhere you go, you get to pull up with your, like you would especially having done it for 19 years, form relationships with the people mm. that are working there, even if there is changeover, that everywhere you go, it's I'm sure you become mates with oh, the people was, there. A lot of the time we were mates before that, you know, mm. not, not so much the younger ones that are on, that are there now, you know, like at the peak and what have you. But, yeah, well, some of it, nah, yeah, I think most of the, the most of the friendship has developed since the Maron, I'd say, even though we knew each other, you know. Like I remember, you know, like Tony from Mount Barry, for instance. You know, I can remember him when he came in here, and you know, and uh, when he's a young, young bloke. But um, I was advised to go to Tony and get some stories about you, but I'd like you to know that I didn't. <laughs> but I'd say that for another day. He won't day. Got me in for nothing. We, 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 what happens with us stays with us. Oh, you know, good. Sounds like I would have would have been a waste of my time then. So I'm glad I didn't. But I was advised to go and ask Tony about you. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So what is it about the mail run that has kept you doing it for 19 years? Because I, I suppose some people may think that it's a very, while I suppose every day could be different, you know, you're, but you're visiting the same, so five stations and two towns um, twice a week, even though you're kind of going, you know, whether you're going clockwise or counterclockwise, it's kind of, it's very routine very and it routine, is a long yeah. drive. You know, some people I think may I I'm sure there are people who are like have said to you, you know don't you get bored of this you know yeah, how do you keep yeah. doing it which obviously isn't the case if you're still doing it after 19 years but mm. tell me about your experience. Well, basically, I mean, how can you mean? I think everybody's different. Um, the bloke I took it off, he got bored with it, but I'm a bit different. So you see, I love the country. I love to see the changes, and as you know, we've had. Rain every month this year, you know, since December, January, February, March, and now I've got a bit of rain in April, man. And to see the country change and to see the, 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 the relief that brings on the station owners' faces and the stress it takes off them so they can look after their animals properly and see the condition of the animals. Uh, but also, apart from the human interest side of it, uh, you see the way that the vegetation grows and the wildlife starts breeding up. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but uh, all of a sudden I'm starting to see kangaroos again. I haven't seen kangaroos for a couple of years, but they're coming back because the country's come back. Uh, I'm starting to see little darnets and hoppy mice run across the road. You know, the birds are uh, the b- ground nesting birds like the um, inland dotterels and the uh, and the and the, and the, the uh, godwits are all are all starting to um, no sorry the pratical family uh, that normally nest out here during the summer are all starting to come back. Uh, little flocks of budgerigars going everywhere. Uh, so you're seeing the country come alive again. But even through the drought, it's, it's, it's just the way the country changes and how it survives and how Mother Nature makes it survive. And until you learn that, you drive past it, you don't think, oh, this looks terrible, you know. But you know what's going on underneath the ground with the, the seeds and the, the, you know, the vegetation. Uh, you know, all the, the little marsupials are, are in sort of half in hibernation and not breeding properly and the, and the kangaroos are gone down south because there's not, no feed here. And, and you know, when it's rain, it's all going to come back. So, so I can't get bored with it. And everywhere I go, you mate welcome and you know you're helping them out. Hey, Rowie, can you pick up this from the slice center for me? Hey, Rowie, here, go and grab that, you know. And, uh, for them, for me to do it's nothing. But for them to do it was a major effort and they appreciate it so much. They're, they're country people, as you know, you've been here long enough now to see what how these people are different. Uh, and that's not knocking people from everywhere else. They live in a different world where they have to live the life they live. But here we don't. Here, the most important thing we've got out here is people. Every, we need people. If you live in the city... Something goes wrong, you pick up the phone and ring up the motor car club, saying the RAA or RACV or whatever state you're in. The car won't start. And they send a man around that can fix it and get it going for you, you know. I've got a flat tyre, you know. Well, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. If someone comes around in a short period of time and fixes it for you, out here that doesn't happen. Get it fixed, might be 400 kilometres away. But Bill Bloggs will live on the next cattle. Oh, no, well, I can fix that for you, I've got a spare part in the shed. You know, or you broke it down, I'll come and get you, you know. Um, yeah, so we all help each other. 
So the most important thing out of me is that he's the people. I love the country. Don't get me wrong. I love to watch nature. And even on the days off, I quite often go for a drive on my own and just go out and sit under a tree and take pictures of a bird, you know, five hours sitting on top of my car waiting for an eagle to land a nest. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a bit different. But, you know, just all those sort of things. And a lizard runs across the road. Get out and go and see what the lizard's up to, you know. Um, it sounds funny, but it's, everybody's different. How does this country compare to the country just north of Port Augusta, coming back to earlier on in this episode or in our first episode where you spoke about that connection to country when you came to this part of the world? Is that is that similar to what you see when you're driving around yep. now? Do you, yep. And do you yep. still have that feeling? I don't know how to describe it. I get a feeling when I'm in particular types of country and it's it's quite like – I don't know. Like you just, I just feel, I'm just tapping my chest. Obviously people can't see me right now, but you just get a feeling. I don't know how to articulate it, but you just. No, you can't can't explain to anybody. It's a feeling. And I think the easy way to to say it is it's flat country. It's salt bush and gibberstone country. It's red sand hill country. And I think the best way to describe it up, after you've been here for a short period of time, you get red sand in your blood and you can't get it out. That's the best way to describe it. That red sand gets in your blood I love the Sandhill country. I love the deserts. To go out in the Simpson Desert or the Great Victoria Desert or the Badurga Desert is just... I know it was Sandhill after Sandhill after Sandhill, but if people point out to you or teach you what's on there, there's so much life and so much things to see, little animal tracks and, you know, it's just, yeah, I mean, but it's not everyone's cup of tea. Some people like to sit in, in, in Port Douglas with a pita colada, you know, I prefer to sit under a mulga tree with a cup of black sweet tea, you know. <laughs> I don't even know what a computer colada is. Like people, people use it. <laughs> <laughs> Just heard it sung in a song one time. Yeah. I think, though, like that's the thing. Everyone has something different that calls to them. And, and if we all liked and, and loved the same thing, then we'd all probably be very crowded in one part of the planet. So that's yeah. the beauty of it is that we all have different things that pull at our heartstrings which keep us where we are. But I think the incredible thing about this, though, is that you've managed to find your area that makes you happy. And so it doesn't matter what, if, you know, like you said, if somebody, if that happy place is in Port Douglas on the beach or or here in the desert, that you've found that space and you've been able to build your life here and and your job every day, you get to drive around. Like even today, I'm just driving back from Port Augusta to Udna Data and I just think I love that this is sometimes my job is just to drive and just see, you know, and I, I'm not going to lie, I have been thinking like in the last couple of weeks, I'm like, you know what, mail run sounds like a pretty damn good job because I love driving, I love road trips, I love looking at country, <laughs> love station people. I'm like, mail run, this is actually pretty good. But you've you've managed to not only find your happy place in terms of like the country type, but then you've got a job that allows you to go out and yeah. be in it every day. How often do you pull over and I know you're you're an avid photographer and a very skilled one how often do you pull over to take a picture or to get out and go for a wander you know you would just cover so you know, 600 kilometers you could pull up at a different spot every mile run for the last 19 years and still not have covered a lot of it no. well to answer uh, I'm going to answer that in two ways first of all when I'm taking plane passages I don't take my camera mm-hmm um, and the reason being is I have been known to wander and not, not come back for three quarters of an hour. <laughs> and they think they've been left to perish. <laughs> like, a, like a big Pirini walks across the road. I'm gone. I love Pirini. Yeah. Okay. 
and an old fallen for miles. I just take a picture of it. I'll use a 30 gig card on it. Yeah. For really. <laughs> anyway, I'll shoot on motor mode just in case I'm going to miss something. So, you know, I mean, no, I don't take. But when I when I when I there's certain times of the year I, I I deliberately don't take passengers, and then I throw my camera in. Um, yeah, and there's areas I want to photograph. Well, I know something special is happening. Uh, maybe uh, like the Sturt, there's a Pisa out or something like after a good rain. Uh, I know where I see they've grown a certain spot. I wouldn't mind to get some more photographs of that. Uh, I'll throw the camera in for that. But I'll put it in the back so I can't get it easy. And then when I stop to show the people, because everyone wants to see Sturt Desert Peace in the wild. So when I take them out to get, take the show of the Sturt Desert Peace, then I'll get my camera out and take a few photographs and, and what have. And they've got to wait for me to finish it. Once I start, I'm in my own little world. You know, so, <laughs> so in all fairness, you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't take the camera normally, no, unless no. I'm on my own, yeah. Okay. And so do you stop when you've got tourists with you, though? So it's quite a unique tourist experience. I didn't even know anything like this ever existed until I came to this part of the world that people can kind of jump in with you at Coobapedi, do the mail run, they get to go see, you know, mm. the stations and, and the towns and, and mm. then get, you know, Everyone talks about rowing and the stories he tells and, you know, just the knowledge you have of the area and all the yarns. So, but when you're driving around with them, do you just stop when you deliver the mail or do you stop other places and show them things? Oh, no, it's any places of interest, you know. We've, you know, probably the most place that's definitely a stopping point is Elgin Buckner Bridge, of course, um, with Old Gann Railway Line Bridge that's, you know, 578 metres long or something, built in 1892. There's a whole story to tell them there. But any place of interest, really, because what I'm trying to do is that I don't know what it's like with the people today or what happened with you, but when I went to school, no one taught me about Australian history. And we're driving up an area where there's so much stuff happened. You know, we're starting to meet... You go to Mount Barry Station or the Peak Station, uh, Nilpla Station, rather, and you meet people like you know, Trevor Williams and, 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 and Tony Williams. They left school and were out in the stock camp and pack horses living on salt and meat and damper, five or six weeks at a time. Uh, these blokes have got a million stories. These, these, these days are gone. Today when they must, they don't use horses, they use motorbikes and aeroplanes and all this sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, these people have made their mark in the world and got where they wanted to get in the world, but they've done it the hard way. And so we, you try to teach the people about how the cattle industry here works. As you know, looking around, when they've got the rains here, the way the cattle changes and can produce some of our best export cattle to come out of Australia. And if you talk about the Williamses, for instance, they've turned all their places into uh, um, organic. So they're producing grass-fed, free-range organic cattle in the desert, the best you can buy, you know. Um, so there's a million stories about that, so educate them about that. But my other passion probably is, apart from talking about the native wildlife and how the grasses grow and why they grow and how the seasons change and all that sort of stuff that's taken over by Mother Nature, uh, which, by the way, I've got a reasonable knowledge of, but I'm not that well-versed in all of it. Uh, but um, it's to talk about the history. Because particularly on the end of data track, you're in the footsteps of our early explorers. John McDowell Stewart surveyed all that country before he became Australia's greatest ever explorer. Uh, Ernest William Giles, our most prolific explorer in Australia, 
across where we're going. He came through the peak telegraph station and 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 and, and cut across the West Australia, went up to first man to see Ayers Rock. You know, um, he didn't go there, but he's the first man to see it. The first man to blaze a trail that could be used by other people across the West Australia. He came up that way. Um, Warburton, uh, a bloke called David Lindsay. I mean, they're all explorers that, that opened that country up and, and unbelievable people, what they achieved. Um, and then, of course, we had the first pioneers that came up, you know, People walked up from Adelaide with their cattle and their sheep. Took three and a half years to get up there, you know. Not knowing what's the next. I've got a block of land up there somewhere. We're going to take out the block of land, you know. Three and a half years to walk up there with the cattle and sheep, you know. Women gave birth on the side of the track. No midwives. You know? I go, excuse me, dear. I'm going to have a baby. You better put a blanket down, eh? You know, <laughs> boil a billy or something, you know. Um, I mean, all this sort of stuff went on. Now, people don't realise it, you know. They don't know about it. And then, of course, you know, the Afghan Camelias had a massive trade route through there. Um, the Overland Telegraph Line, and on top of all, off and all that, the, 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 the Aboriginal people was a trade route for them. And they traded stuff up and down there. You know? I think mainly that area, uh, my knowledge, and I'm pretty certain I'm right, is all the Arabana people. Uh, that was all Arabana country up and down, where I'm driving up, the session I drive up and down in. Um, and they, and there's a lot of significant places there for them. And they, and they, they traded things like ochre and grinding stones and tectites and all that sort of stuff, you know. So there's just history after history. And on the top of it all off, the Overland Telegraph Line, you know, first communication with the outside world ran down there. Um, the Narrow Gauge Gan Railway Line. There's just a million stories. A million stories to talk about. And the customers, most of them have never heard of them. I was just thinking, you know, do people get surprised driving? So we're in arid shrublands. It is like the desert, you know, you can be a couple of hours between towns or, or any sign of life or anything. Yeah. Um, there are some old ruins around. So I, and I've never seen anything like this. You know, I haven't spent much time in South Australia, but in where I've been in WA in the territory, I, you don't see like as many of these old, or any really of these old ruins. And then, so you kind of see, you know, there's bits going on, but you think, oh, what, what's going on out here? You don't even, sometimes you don't even see cattle. Like it just is like, there's yeah, just yeah. nothing. People say, where's the cow? Where's the cow? Yeah, yeah. I thought this was cattle country, you know, where are the cow, you know, yeah. but then you come out here and you've got them on this tour and there's, it's just so rich in history. But if you were just driving around, unless you're really, you know, well-read or researched, you wouldn't know. But that's what I think is so incredible about the the tourist service that you provide is that they're coming out and, like, how many people – I mean, I've driven up and down the Oonadatta track a few times now between – is it um, Marla and William Creek or mm. between Una and, you know, even today. And I, I don't know what I'm driving past. I haven't no. got a clue. I'm sitting there listening to a podcast, just looking at the pretty country. And that's yeah. as much as I'm taking in. And to think that I could be driving around a motor car with you and just getting so much. Yeah. I think we're going to have to do it like a drive around with you one day and just like record everything that you say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm careful about that because you might find it. I might check up whether I'm telling the truth or not. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's quite interesting. Sometimes you've got to go back and reread it just in case because you tell the story so many times. You've got to, you know, and, you, and it's like, you know, you have the old story where you, uh, you know, like eight people sit down in a semicircle and I tell you. Oh, thing, Chinese and whispers. Gets, yeah, well, you've yeah. Got Chinese whispers. Chinese yeah, whispers, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, every now and again, I'll, be, I'll better read that again. I'm not too sure on that date, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so did but, you, are you, you, have you learned all this just from books and all self-directed research? Yeah, just... I just can't believe what these people do. Well, you know where Warner is. 
Why so? on When you yeah. drive out of the peak station, there's an old wreck. Um, T- towards Udnadatta? No. Towards Udnadatta? No, well, you drive out of the peak station. Yeah. Okay. And then you're going to go towards Udnadatta. But where you hit the, the Udnadatta track, there's an old broken down railway siding and there's an old horse and cart wheel axle over there. If you're is going it, to drive it, out yeah. of the peak station, yeah. and you're going to go to Unadatta. Okay. Yes, I should know this because I've driven in and out of Bunch over the past <laughs> month. Oh, to be fair, though, often I go out the other little, the any Audi okay, that goes to William the Creek, southern, but on it, the northern entrance, it'd be the bit near the cattle yards, right? Because you come past and there's a cattle yards on your left, and then some kind of ruins, and then you turn in. That's it. Okay, that's cool. It. Okay, okay. that's the Warren cattle yards, yeah. okay. and that's the end of a stock route. Oh, okay. So before the railway line reached Alice Spring, Unadatta. Uh, um, they used to drive cattle all the way down and load them on the train there. Wow. And you still see the old spur line there. They now, they've now modified it so they can load cattle on the trucks. But it was an old, uh, it was an old uh, uh, stock route. Wow. It's... Anyway, if you go and have a look at Warren, there's a plaque there, right? And a man by the name of, this, uh, this blows people away, a man by the name of David Lindsay arrived there in April 1891 with 14 camels and 44, no, 14 men and 44 camels. Wrong way around, dyslexic, see? 14 men, 44 camels, and went walk to the Murchison River District in West Australia. Holy hotbox. But he cut across the Simpson Desert, uh, the Great Victoria Desert, sorry, down to Coolgardie, surveyed over a million square kilometres of country in Western Australia, and in one year, he travelled 6,880 kilometres with camels. And he got off the train at Warrenup, where you drive past. That's... And said, I'm going to... Now... How, how are you going to know that driving past, though? Like, Well, you've got to stop and look at the plaque. I know. I'm terrible. <laughs> I always... I'm like, oh... I even drove past the other day as I was driving down south. There was like a turn off for like Lake Air or something. And I'm driving past and looking out there going, oh, cool. I guess I've seen Lake Air. I didn't even pull over. I was like, I know there's a big... Big sign thing there with some stuff, and I was like, "Oh, next time, I'm all next, over time next time, next time." I'm yeah, terrible yeah. for those things. Mm. What do you think is the most out of out of your drive and all the history, and the what what for you holds the most significance that you love to talk about, or or the story, or the people that you that you can teach them about on that drive? Like, what's your most you know most significant part of the history for you? Ah, uh, basically, what people achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's modern day or, or, or past. Um, this country is pretty harsh. Um, and if you don't know how to live in this country or work in this country or work with the country, uh, it'll chew you up. Um, all those pastors out there and all those early explorers knew, and that survived I'm talking about, and the early explorers that survived, knew how to work with the country and understand it and appreciate it and, and not try to beat it. You can't beat you can't beat this country. Uh, you've got to work with it, and and that's what I admire more than anything was what people achieve, both men and women that can live in this country, or lived in the country in p- past years and now live in the country today. Even the young families like on the peak and Cam and all that mob and and Matt and Kirsty and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, they're 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 the new generation. They're the generation that's taken off for old fogies, you know. And, and they understand the country and they know how to work it. Okay, knowledge has been passed on to them, but it's been passed on from you know, a couple of generations back, you know. 
and um, and including the old Indigenous people, you know, the old, old Aboriginal people that used to used to work on the cattle stations. They passed on their knowledge to the whitefellas, you know. And all that's working together. So it all works harmony, you know, works together. So what, what I think about the most is, yeah, that's what I, I think most of all. And, and the enjoyment I get out of it is passing a lot of that on to the people that come with me. And I can honestly say in all the years I've done it, I could count the bad customers on one hand, you know, and I don't even remember them. I don't even know what their names were, what they even did. I don't care. They were, it's irrelevant. Uh, if I can only, if I can't even count the, the bad couple on my hand, that just shows that the people that are coming out want to learn as well. And I would bet my life on it that they, you know, you say you don't remember the bad customers. I can guarantee though that every customer remembers you and what you've and the experience. Well, I hope so like, because I'm, I'm trying to not them worry about. I, I don't want them to learn about me. I want them to learn about what I'm trying to teach them about, and so they appreciate. What's happened, you know? And in saying that, though, you know, we've got a very young history as far as European settlements concerned, you know. And um, and, um, um, and I can remember uh, in the forties, I went over to England for a wedding, and I walked around the Yorkshire Moors. Uh, I always loved Yorkshire, and I had never been there, but I I wanted to go to Yorkshire. And there's people getting married with Yorkshire people, and I spent five weeks on the Yorkshire Moors. And what amazed me was the history there, you know. I went to one town that had a gate built by the Romans in 64 BC, you know, and I'm talking about 200 years of European history. So, but it's important that we learn about it because if we don't learn about it, it gets forgotten. Um, the, the isolated graves, you could talk about the isolated graves and, and how they came about and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But if we don't pass it on, it's going to be forgotten. So does this mean we can expect a book from you, Rowie? No. <laughs> no? Are you sure? I don't think so, no. Okay. No, no, no. Maybe we will have to come around on a tour with you then and record it so we've got like an audio recording of yours because we don't want to, you know, one day... Well, all you... this is in books. Everything is in books. It's I know, already but, written. But you've got it nice in one little package no, and it comes from, from your voice. No, but with me you get the Peter, you get the Rowie's Reader's Digest version <laughs> of the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> I like that version. <laughs> So you've got Rowie's Reader's Digest version of the Reader's Digest version. It's got with me. Like every story is a book on its own. How many yeah. stories are there about John McDowell Stewart or Giles or the building of the Overland Telegraph Line? I mean, yeah, a million stories. How many stories are there about the Aboriginal people and all this sort of stuff? I mean, and, and the parcelists of the people that come up with bullock carts and the Afghan Cavaliers. There's a million stories. You couldn't tell it in one day. I know. I you know. couldn't tell one story in one day. So that's I, why you've got to break it down to and just pick out little snippets that create to create enthusiasm or the interest to go and buy a book or get a book out of the library. I always say people don't go out and get the book out of the library, go and buy the bloody thing. <laughs> you know? You'll spend sixty bucks on a bottle of wine, but you won't spend thirty bucks on a book. That's a fair point actually. The book you can put it on a shelf and think, Oh, I wouldn't mind reading that again. You know, get the book out and read the book again. You know, I mean, put life in perspective, I reckon. Yeah. Well, that leads us very nicely into a question that I usually ask um, towards the end of each episode, which is, is, is there a book that you would recommend people read, a book that's been significant to you or that you might think be significant to others? There was a book put out, and I can't remember the exact title, all right, 
But it's what started me off. There's a number of books. I, I can't say one book to start off with, okay? I, I will say a couple, but the first book that got me interested was a book written by a, uh, a gentleman that uh, said, it's called The First Three Billion Years of the Australian Continent. Oh, I think that's the title of it. I can't remember whether that's right or not. There's something like that. The first so many billion years of the Australian continent. And it starts off explaining about how Australia came to be. As you probably know, we've got some of the oldest rock formation in the world in Australia. Um, but what I, what got me, grabbed me with it in his preface, he said, and this is not word for word, but basically a gist of it is that this book was compiled using the best geological and paleontological brains to put this book together. But in saying that, most of us only theory because we weren't there. Every now and again we find something to prove the theory so we can set it in concrete, but every now and again we find something to disprove the concrete, which means we've got to go back and start. And I thought, here's a bloke writing a book about how Australia was formed, and already saying, I mightn't be right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I loved that book. And it was written simple language that a, that a, that a simple lay person like me could understand. It was not written technically and what have you. So that got me started on, on, on how we formed and how the world got oxygen and all that sort of stuff, you know, and I went from there. And then I started reading more books. Then I suddenly realised I didn't know much about this country. I didn't know much about Australia. I was taught a lot about England and kings and queens, you know, and and the um, um, the Spanish Inquisition and all this sort of stuff. Got nothing to do with us, but well, I thought about that, you know. And then I so then I started looking a bit up about Australian history, and people like I suddenly realised I didn't know anything about John McGow Stewart, so I started reading about him. And then I started finding other things, and then I found other things that were great achievements. Like, and a lot of it came out because I was doing the marathon too, by the way. Because all of a sudden I was driving through this country and looking, like, wow, what happened here? What happened there? And um, yeah, so as far as books goes, any book that's on on the history of the outback, particularly Settle Australia, to appreciate what these people did um, and how they achieved it, uh, probably. As far as um, uh, uh, explorers go, you wouldn't do any better than John McDowell Stewart and also Ernest William Giles. Uh, those two explorers are uh, great reads about them. And particularly if they get hold of their diaries, uh, most of the time you've got to remember that when you read a book on, a, on, a, on some great explorer, it's been written by someone else who's interpreted what they think has happened out of their diaries. So if you get hold of their diaries, it's great to read that. And it really shows the character of the person, you know, what they're like and how they survived and what they did and what they thought because they, they write their personal feelings in there. Um, Overland Telegraph Line, without doubt, the best book on that would have to be um, From Singing Wire to Iconic Outback Town, Alice Springs. The Overland Telegraph Line has, of course, put Australia on the map. We went from... We went from spending four months to get an answer from England. So, in other words, write a letter, put it on a boat, two months to get there, two months to get back. Uh, this is when we we're only a colony. Up until 1872, we could send a telegram to England and get an answer back in a few hours, you know. So that was a, a wire that ran from Darwin to Port Augusta and then into Adelaide. 
over 3,000 case, single strand of wire that was done. At the time, they believed it was one of the great engineering feats. Um, so the best book on that is uh, From Singing Wire to Iconic Outback Town, Other Springs. Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, another great human interest story is um, written by a lady named uh, Doris Blackwell who grew up as a six-year-old girl in Alice Springs till she was 16. Her father's a telegraph master there. She writes a great human interest story. And from there it goes on to all the other stories and, and one book leads you into another book, into another book. So to say one particular book, no, I can't. But I think you need to start at the basis to know how we came to be here. That's the start. Yeah. We need to know how we came to be here. And if you go to this book, like the 3,000, 3 billion years of Australian continent, uh, first 3,000, first three, uh, that starts off how life began, right through the development of oxygen, but the development of cyanobacteria and all that sort of stuff, as trimethylides, and, and right through to the present day, uh, how come we're still alive here today? And that brings us back to Earth. And that's the whole thing with humans today. We live in a fantasy land, you know. Technology is going to fix everything, and they're forgetting about nature, you know. And I'm not a tree-hugging greenie. I am a greenie. I am a liberal relationist, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a practical one, and I don't believe in all the rubbish. Um, and I believe we are doing damage to our, prop, our planet, and I, read, I believe we're doing damage to our environment. One of the biggest things I've always kicked cook, cook, cut crook about was where I grew up as a child was the best market garden in Victoria, and they put houses on it, and they're still doing it today. And the market gardens had to go further and further out into worse and worse material, soil, you know, where they put artificial fertilisers in it to, to, to make it produce produce. And then they start doing it with hydroponics and all that sort of stuff. No objection to all that sort of thing, but today we build a nice suburban home on beautiful soil that can grow the best vegetables and put the market gardens in the second-rate soil to grow our food. Mm-hmm. What's the most important thing? is our food, you know. And, of course, the air we breathe. And we, you know, we can get into that, but I don't want to get too deep into that because, you know, I'm not going to solve the world and a lot of people argue against me. But we need to get back to the basis that understand that, like I said earlier on, we're here for a short time, not a long time. You speak with an incredible energy and you're obviously a very active person, which is why I think I want to ask the next question because I think it's really going to surprise our audience. Can I ask how old you are? Uh, not quite 77. <laughs> Still 76. Still 76. But only a little bit to go. Not much, much more. Yeah, I was born in August, so I'll be, I'll be 77 in August, yeah. So yeah. 76, doing two 600-kilometre round trips a week yep. for work. I'm a bit lucky too. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky with my health. Yeah, and you're very... A lot of people aren't. You're not, not, and you're very sharp and active and Mm. still very involved in the community. Mm. It's incredible. I suppose, as as with everyone, at some point, though, you probably will retire or, or kind of cut back a little bit, hopefully not for a while, but what do you see on the cards for you next? I've got to face reality. Um... You know, I haven't got what I used to have <laughs> and I don't expect to have. Um, I think I'm much luckier than most people. Not as lucky as some, but m- uh, more lucky than most. Uh, and I appreciate that very much. Um, like all people my age, I've probably got more friends in the ground than I've got 
walking around breathing. I mean, my age group, of course. I've got a lot of a lot of very very good friends that are, are quite substantially younger than me, and that and, 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 and are quite happy to be friends with the old man, you know. But um, uh, what am I going to do? I really don't know, Steph. I mean, um, I've got to face reality, and sooner or later, it will get to the stage where. I'll say, oh, hang on a minute, I didn't concentrate, I didn't see that cow or I didn't see that hole in the road, oh, I'm carrying pain passengers. So I've, not only am I doing what I love doing, but I've also got a pretty pretty good responsibility, a very important responsibility. I'm carrying pain passengers. People are expecting me to be a safe and a, you know, uh, uh, uh. so sooner or later, you know, I'm going to get to the stage where I may have to start thinking about Am I doing the right thing? You know, am I, am I wits about? Am I reflexes fast enough? Am I thinking straight enough? Am I not getting tired? You know what I mean? So sooner or later it's going to happen. And when that happens, and I'm not looking forward to it, by the way, <laughs> uh, I'm one of them silly old fools that are frightened to stop working because I might get old, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm old. Oh, well, my body does, my brain does it, you know. Um, and there's a lot of people like me, I'm sure. Um, but uh, uh, I got this thing. Well, if I if I retire, am I going to get become an old man overnight? Um, I don't think I will because I've got a passion for photography, and I join my own company, so I can go out bush and, like I said earlier, sit under a tree and browse and just wait for that bird to come back to his nest and feed the chicks or whatever, you know. So, uh, and there's a million and one places that are just so beautiful. And you got, and as you know, because you're a photographer as well, mm-hmm. they tell me sometimes it's beautiful. You see a beautiful composition, say, so, oh, that'd be great about, oh, about half past five, just before the sun goes down, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the right light, the rocks go redder. I always say we're driving, always the last little bit when you're driving somewhere just before it gets dark, and I say to the people, look at the light coming in, you know? You watch what's going to happen. And, of course, what happens is the red goes redder, the greens goes green, the grey, the silver goes silverer, and, and you get that beautiful colour, you know. And then you watch the sun go down, you get that turquoise and that, you know, that, oh, it's just my special time of the day. And, of course, the other special time of the day is sunrise because not only do you get beautiful light, but I'm sort of alive. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you make it to sunset as well, you're still alive, yeah. so you're doing pretty well. Like one bloke said, what happens when you die? What are you going to do when you die? I said, well, I won't know, will I? You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm dead. What a stupid question to ask. <laughs> I'll send you a letter and I'll put it in the mail run. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, so, mm. If you look back on your life so far, and I still think of it, I think there's a fair way to, still to go, let's be honest, but looking back on it so far, what would you say is the major takeaway lesson that you have learnt? Um, the lesson I got in life uh, that, that I've always lived by and I'll pass on to everybody was given to me when I turned 18, my 18th birthday party. And I've only had three birthday parties in my life. No, I haven't. I've had four. I had an 18th with just my mate, my mum and dad, and my sister, I had a 21st that I was made to have because I didn't want a 21st, but mum and dad wanted me to have one, so I had to go to it, um, which I went out racing a motorbike that day and come home, crashed up, and I skinned off me and blood pouring out of every every place you could think of. It doesn't matter. But anyway, that didn't make them too happy. Uh, then I had a 40th birthday, and then my daughter 
and my son put a surprise 60th on. So I've had four birthdays. But at my 18th birthday, my dad, who was a wise man, come and saw me and said, son, he said, you're 18 now, you turned a man. I said, no, I've got to wait until 21, dad. He said, no, no, today you can vote, drink and die for your country. At 18 you become a man, not 21. So if you can do those three things, you're allowed to vote, you're allowed to drink, you're allowed to die for your country, you become a man. He said, I've got a bit of advice for you. And he gave me a plaque. Now, this plaque is out of the Bible. Uh, and I'm not a religious man, by the way, but it come out of the Bible. He said, if you live by this, when you die, you may be lucky to have one true friend standing by your grave as they lower you into the ground. And if that happens with one true friend, you're a multimillionaire. No one could buy that. With No money could ever, ever buy that. He didn't say you're multimillionaire. I'll correct that. He told me you'll be the richest man on earth, okay? And the plaque is very simple. And he says, live by this. And it's basically the golden rule. But it says, I shall pass through this world but once. Therefore, any kindness I can show to anybody, let me not, let me do it now. Let me not defer it nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Pretty simple. And if you live by that, you will have one true friend standing by your grave when you go down. I'm hoping I'll have more than one. I'm hoping I've touched more people in my life. Um, and I've never done anything deliberately to hurt. I've hurt people, but I hope I haven't done it deliberately. Oh, I know I've never done it deliberately. And, um, yeah, so I live by what I'd pass on to people. If they can live by that, it's basically the golden rule. Do one to others what you have others do one to you. If you can live by that, you can make life a better place. Uh, never keep anger. If someone does something wrong by you, shame on them. If, you, if, you, if they do shame on you again, shame on you. So that doesn't mean if you meet someone that's not really a nice person and they do something bad to you, that you forgive them. I don't believe in that, okay? It doesn't mean, it does, but that, you do forgive them in a way, but you make sure they never do it again. Uh, you can't trust them anymore. That trust is gone. But that doesn't mean you still don't leave the door open. I had someone say to me once, you never close the door, are we, do you? I said, no. The door's always open. But when you come back next time, make sure you're guarded because I'll be watching you. Like you've lost my trust. You know, the trust is not there. Um, the door's still open. If you're in trouble, come and see me. So, so I'm just sitting here just, I'm like, wow, this is a power episode. You've had so many gold nuggets of like mm. nuggets of gold that are coming out. I'll, I'll just to finish up, I'll get you to repeat that saying on the plaque once more. I shall pass through this world but once. Therefore, any kindness I can show, let me do it now. Let me not defer it nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au, where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia.
all of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations, and we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au, and we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast. <laughs>